Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of Speak to the Beak. I am Tim the Ferds, flying solo tonight. It's a pretty uh, jam-packed day today. Again, this is two weeks in a row, we've had some breaking news pretty much as the podcast is being recorded. But it's pretty sweet right now. You know, you got basketball on, you got Islanders Rangers on in the background. We had a huge NBA trade yesterday, obviously with James Harden. Uh, Urban Meyer just got hired to be the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, of course, we're going to talk about the upcoming playoffs uh, for the NFL Divisional Round Saturday and Sunday. But let's let's start with the NBA, uh, James Harden. So James Harden was just traded. Well, yesterday he was traded from Houston to Brooklyn uh, and like a four-team trade pretty much that Indiana got Karis LeVert and Houston got Victor Oladipo and Cleveland got Jared Allen and, you know, Houston got a bunch of first-round picks slash first-round pick swaps. Um, it was a really big trade. It was a really big trade. I personally think my biggest winner here is Indiana, you know, aside from getting James Harden. I mean, obviously, like out of the other three teams. Um Indiana made out like bandits. Karis LeVert is really underrated. He's a really good player. Oladipo was on an expiring contract. I don't think he was going to resign there. So the fact they're able to flip Oladipo for LeVert is big for them. Houston, I'm pretty sure this was just a cap dump because Oladipo is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And they have a couple other guys that are going to be free agents at the end of the year as well. I uh, like that they got back in the trade. Jared Allen ended up in Cleveland pretty much for free. Like, I don't know what they gave up to get him, but all right. But we're going to talk about mainly the circus show that is Brooklyn right now. So I actually, I wrote about this, but we can expand about uh, expand on it right now. So a couple things. I don't think Brooklyn is any threat to win the NBA Finals for a couple reasons. One... They probably have the worst defensive team in the league. And if they're not the worst, they are close to it. And they're also terrible at defense on an individual, like, player-by-player down the roster as you go. Like, they're just not good individual defenders either. Like, Durant can play defense. But after him, you have Kyrie, who can't play defense. Harden, who can't play defense. Joe Harris, like, okay. Um... Jared Allen's gone, so you lost your rim protector. You have DeAndre Jordan, who stinks. I mean, and then you have Jeff Green, I guess. So they have a terrible defensive team. And I think the the um, the strength of their team was really their depth. Like, they had a really deep bench. But with Dinwiddie gone, obviously he's injured. And they just traded all the rest of their players that they could possibly trade. This is, it's a big top three. So my first issue with them is they have, they don't play defense. My second issue is they don't have any depth now. So it's just those top three guys you're pretty much relying on. KD, Kyrie, and Harden. The next reason I don't think this is not going to, I don't think this is going to work is Kyrie is currently uh, missing in action. No one knows where he is or what he's doing or when he's coming back. I, I don't even know if he's going to be with the team. Like, could they trade him? Are they done with him? 
Did they trade for Harden because Kyrie is just gonna he because he just up and left and stopped playing because he felt like it. And this whole you know Kyrie is not a good team player thing has kind of followed him since you know his days at Duke. Like he didn't win there. The second Cleveland drafted him, they were still terrible. And then LeBron carried him for like, you know, two to four years, give or take, you know, with injuries and all that other stuff. Then he goes to Boston. They get worse the second they get him. They let him go. He goes to Brooklyn previous to last year, and they're better with him not on the court. He's a really good individual talent, but he just does not play winning basketball. And now you're going to pair him with another guy, James Harden, who also does not play winning basketball. And their games are kind of the same in that they're ball-dominant guards. Now, Harden's a much better passer than Kyrie Irving, but he doesn't pass, so that's irrelevant. Um, they both just pound the ball, like, pound the ball off the, the floor for, you know, 20 seconds and then either go to the hoop or take a three-pointer. So I don't really know how this is going to work because you can't ask Kevin Durant to be the number three on this team. He's the second-best player in the league, so that's not an option. And then one of these two guys, whether it be Kyrie or Harden, is going to have to step back and be that third guy. I don't know if that's going to work. I mean, I don't think it's going to work, obviously, because I'm not viewing them as a threat. Um, and then you're probably saying, well, you know, come playoffs, they have three guys that can all drop like 35 in any given game. Like, yeah, that's great. The chances of that happening on the same night are slim to none, most likely. Um, and then, you know, they might be scoring 35 apiece, even if it does go well, but Harden and Kyrie are going to give up 45-plus on the other end of the court because the other team is just going to run some pick and roll, the Nets are going to switch it, and then you're going to have someone who Kyrie Irving has no business guarding, taking him to the hoop every single possession. So that's not going to work. And obviously we know come playoff time, Harden does not get all those whistles, so he's pretty much a spot-up shooter. I don't know how this works for the Nets. I think this is a terrible move. I mean, you had to do it, though. Like, I get why they did it, because you can't say no to James Harden. But I just don't see this working out for the Nets. But like I wrote in my article, kind of half-jokingly, but half-serious at the same time, if Steve Nash can pull this off, he is the greatest coach in NBA history. I don't care what anyone says. You have three guys that combined have zero leadership skills, zero alpha whatsoever, and are just all divas all around. So if you can make this work, good for them. Good for him. Because the only time someone ever tried to hold James Harden accountable was Chris Paul. And they actually had the Warriors beat. Harden didn't really crumble slash Paul got hurt. And then Harden demanded that they trade CP3, you know, away from Houston. Because God forbid James Harden be held accountable. I saw a report right before I hopped on here that, uh, you know, Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Rockets, refused to send James Harden to Philadelphia to reunite with Daryl Morey. I mean, that's just a petty move. For me, I mean, first of all, the owner should not be getting in the way of what the team is trying to do. Um, but if the other, I don't know what the 76 was offered, so this could be a moot point. If a team is offering you more and it's better for the franchise, I don't get why you don't do it. Like Harden obviously wanted out and the, his teammates hate him already. Like you could see John Wall, who's been there for nine games, already said like, dude, what are you doing jumping off the ship after nine games? 
And then DeMarcus Cousins, who's not exactly an ideal teammate, right, is calling you out for being a terrible teammate. So that should really tell you something about how much of a terrible person you are to the other people on your team. I don't know. I think Brooklyn, I mean, they're going to win games. And they're going to be exciting to watch. And there are going to be nights where all three of these guys, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and Harden, go nuts. And it's just like, look at the stat sheet. This is incredible. You know, but then there are going to be games where they give up like 145 because they can't stop anybody. I don't know. I mean, I could. they're going to win the first round. They'll probably get out of the second round. Can they win the semi, uh, like the Eastern Conference Championship? I don't know. Depends who they draw. And then the big question is, can they beat the Lakers in the NBA Finals? And the answer is no, they can't. Because now you know exactly what LeBron's going to do. LeBron's going to go with Kyrie Irving the entire game until he fouls out or gets benched. And then after that happens, he's going to go with James Harden the entire game because now they can't even slide over a rim protector to help at the hoop because they don't have one. And they can't really trade for one because they don't have anything left to trade to get one. I think right now there's two starting centers. I mean, their two centers would be DeAndre Jordan and then either like Jeff Green. So pretty much they don't have a center. Like Jeff Green is that's your small ball lineup. Like I know you know Durant would take LeBron if we're thinking this hypothetically. But then who's on Anthony Davis, right? So you're going to get cooked no matter what you do. Um, I get why Brooklyn did it, but this trade is just not for me. It's just not for me. I don't know. Those are my thoughts on the you know, James Harden situation there we got going on. Uh, let's flip over to the NFL. We have a little bit of NFL news. So Urban Meyer was just hired to be the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's pretty big stuff, right? He's, uh, you know, making the jump from college to the NFL. And as I'm talking, I'm looking on Twitter here to see if anything else came out about the status of his contract. I don't see anything yet. So we'll just go off. Um, just off the news that he was hired. So Urban Meyer wins everywhere he goes. That's number one. He won at Utah. He won at Florida. He won at Ohio State. He just wins. He knows how to win. What's going to help him is that he now has Trevor Lawrence, assuming he takes him, because I don't think there's any way he takes Justin Fields over him, because that would be all-time idiotic move. So I can't see that happening. He's going to have Lawrence. He has a lot of young talent on the Jaguars that he could probably mold into better players. You know, I don't know what the rest of his staff is going to look like, so this is kind of up in the air. But the one thing that alarms me about this situation is that they hired him before the GM. And I don't know about that. That's just asking for bad things to happen. My buddy actually texted me, shout out Matt LaRocca, who's been on the podcast before, and actually wrote a guest article for Beak Brands. That's just a disaster waiting to happen. Not having your head coach and your GM in lockstep at all times. I couldn't agree more. But you got to you know admit that he wins. Now the downside to Urban Meyer is that really shady stuff follows him everywhere he goes. Everywhere. There was problems at Ohio State. There was pro- big problems at Florida. I mean, come on. You had at one end, you had Tim Tebow, who's pretty much Mr. Jesus himself. And on the other end, you have Aaron Hernandez, Riley Cooper, and Pouncey. So, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. And then I'm not really old enough to know what was going on at Utah, but I'm sure it wasn't great. So that's kind of what we're looking at there. I do think he should be able to turn the Jaguars around because he is a good coach. 
I just think it's going to take some time. So if you're expecting them to go, you know, make a bigger jump than, you know, six wins, I think you're asking for too much. The roster is just way too depleted. Now, he does have a lot of draft picks, but the roster is way too depleted to just turn it around just like that. I mean, Lawrence is going to keep him in games, but their offensive line's not great. They don't really have top-end weapons. Like, they have Chark and Robinson, who are nice. Like, they don't really have a tight end. They, I mean, they have Chenault, who I really like. You know, on, on defense, they don't have any pass rush outside of Josh Allen. You know, you have Henderson, a corner, but other than him, you don't have anyone in the secondary. And then at the linebacking level, you have Jack and Schobert. So they have some pieces, but they're still really far away, I think. So that's kind of our NFL news with Urban Meyer. Another thing that came out was that some Dolphins players are not sold on Tua, and they kind of knew the second he stepped into the building that he was not the answer. I mean, I think you have to give him more time <laughs> than that, mostly because Deshaun Watson is kind of singling out Miami as like a team that he would want to be traded to, and obviously Tua would go back to Houston in that trade. I, didn't, I did not like Tua coming out of Alabama. I mean, nothing against him. I'm sure he's a nice guy and all that, but like coming off a major injury... And he's pretty much playing on the equivalent of an all-star team. So everyone he plays with is better than pretty much everyone else they're going to play against, which makes you look real good. And if you watch Miami, you can tell this year, in they were better with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I'm sure that's what the players were pissed about. Like, I get it. Two is the answer going forward. But Ryan Fitzpatrick gives us the best chance to win right now, and we are a playoff team. Like, they were ready. You know, they just missed out on the playoffs. They were right there. And I'm sure if Fitzpatrick played the whole season, they might have gotten in. I mean, obviously, you never know. And Fitzpatrick was playing well, but... Look, I don't know if I would be thrashing the franchise quarterback, but I get why people want to do it so fast now. Like, you look in L.A. and Justin Herbert's killing it. And the bad part for the Jaguars is they had a chance to draft Justin Herbert. So it's things even more. Like, if they had Herbert, they would have been hands down in the playoffs. They probably would have killed whoever they played last week. Um, so if I'm Miami, I'm giving Tua a little more time. But he's going to have to step it up quickly if he wants to make an impact and turn, you know, his teammates around on how they view him. So that was just a, an interesting little storyline there that I kind of noticed between the Dolphins players and Tua. All right, so for the remainder of the podcast, we're going to talk about some NFL playoffs. It's a great time of year. This is normally one of the best weekends in all of football because you get some really good games. You have coaches coming off a bye, so you get some pretty good play calls. I'm pretty excited. So we're going to start. We're just going to go in order like we normally do. Um, we're going to start with the L.A. Rams going to the Green Bay Packers. So, as of right now, it looks like Aaron Donald is going to play. Uh, he had a little bit of an injury. I'm sure they're going to drug him up. He'll be out there. Uh, the key to this game, to me, is it's, you know, I guess it's cliche, but strength on strength, right? The Packers offense right now is rolling, and the Rams defense right now is shutting everyone down. So, one of them's gonna got to give. But to break it down... In a more particular manner, I'm going to say the big matchups are Devontae Adams against Jalen Ramsey. And then on the other side of the ball, 
It's can the Packers stop the run? So I guess we'll start with Adams and Ramsey. Ramsey has pretty much locked up everyone he's played against this year, but Devontae Adams is the best receiver in football with either the best or second best quarterback in the league on his team. So this is a whole different animal right here, and he gets peppered with targets. 18 touchdowns this year, over 1,300 yards receiving, and the, the weather doesn't really affect him. If Ramsey can stop Adams from just, like, killing the Rams, then they're in good shape. But if the Packers can get Adams going early, the Rams are going to be in for a long, long day. Long day. Now, Adams is different than most of the receivers that Ramsey has guarded, mainly because he doesn't really have an overwhelming, like, trait. Like, he's not, like, super gigantic or super fast. He's just a really, really, really good route runner, and he catches now. He catches everything. Back in the day, he couldn't catch a cold. So that's one thing I'm looking at. Because if you have to force Aaron Rodgers to go to his other guys, like we've seen MVS drop a ton of passes. Tanyan's just kind of a guy they boot out on play action and dump it off to him for the most part. Um, and then we know it's hard to run on Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers. So that's one thing. The other thing is, which is a question we've been saying pretty much since the NFC Championship game last year when the 49ers ran all over the Packers was, can the Packers stop the run? And the answer to that question still remains to be seen because I don't really know if they can stop the run or not still because Dalvin normally runs all over them and then when they play Tampa, they got absolutely bullied. And if you let Cam Akers and friends get going for the Rams in that zone blocking scheme that they run, which is the exact same as the 49ers, the Packers could be in trouble here. Now, I get it. It's in Lambeau. It's going to be freezing. Jared Goff is terrible no matter where the game is, but he's even worse on the road. And he's even worse on the road when there's weather conditions. And he's coming off a broken thumb. And he just got benched last week to start the game. So I don't really know if the Rams are going to be able to pull this one off. Because if they can't run the ball, it's over. Like, everything else is irrelevant. Like, they're going to have to run the ball 35, 40 times successfully in order to win this game. If they can't do that and it's on Jared Goff to beat the Packers in straight-up pass sets from the pocket, there's no way. There's just no way that happens. Jared Goff's not good enough to win that way against someone like Aaron Rodgers. This game is going to come down to, like I said, the Rams running the ball and the Packers stopping the run. The Packers have the ultimate home field advantage, especially for this game, L.A., a warm-weather dome team traveling to the frozen tundra. I'm going to take the Packers, and I feel fairly confident in it, uh, mostly because normally when I start going through games, I kind of like, all right, whose offense is better? And whose defense is better? And the certain matchups, like I just kind of talked about. And then if, if it's like kind of a tie, I go to who has a better quarterback. And I kind of think the Packers are the better, better overall team than the Rams right now. And they also have a significant advantage at quarterback. So I'm going to go with the Packers here. So that's my pick. First game, Packers over the Rams. Second game, which is probably my favorite game of the weekend in terms of uh, competitiveness goes... I'm, it's Ravens at the Bills. So last week, 
Lamar Jackson finally exercised some demons. You know, got the playoff monkey off his back. He won a playoff game. He played really well. Uh, but what surprised, well, not surprised me, but what really stood out to me was the Ravens' defense went absolutely nuts last week. They stopped Derrick Henry. He only had 40 yards rushing. You know, Calais Campbell, Derrick Wolf, Brandon Williams, Yannick Ngakwe locked it down up front. Ravens secondary still really good, too. They played really well against the Titans. They stacked everyone in the box and said, I, you need to beat us throwing the football, and the Titans couldn't do it. What else is new? That's how the Titans lose. Buffalo, on the other hand, they kind of escaped. Like, I know everyone's saying, like, Josh Allen played really well, and he did. I'm not taking that away from him because I'm a Josh Allen guy. But the rest of the Bills team, I don't really know what was going on. You know, they should send Frank Reich, you know, a gift basket because he pretty much cost the Colts the game. He went for it on fourth down when there was absolutely no need to go for it on fourth down. He didn't get it. Gave away three points there. Uh, just saying, they lost by a field goal, so just throwing that out there. Um, then he went for two when he didn't need to go for two. They didn't get that either. That that whole sequence of it's third and one. They run a pitch play to Jonathan Taylor. It's like a five-yard loss. Then you go forward on fourth down. You don't get it. So you give up a guaranteed chip shot field goal because there's no way blanket chips missing from the two-yard line. Um, then, you, you know, you stop Buffalo. You come back. You're down by 14. You go for two. You don't get it. Like you, but you didn't need to go for two. Like, I just don't understand what they were doing. Now, I understand they followed analytics, but, like, if you're watching the game, this is where analytics really pisses me off. You're watching the game. The Colts are moving the ball up and down the field at will against Buffalo's defense. Buffalo could not stop them the entire game. You don't need to go for it on fourth down when you're moving the ball up and down. You go for it on fourth down when the team's been stuffing you all day and you're like, this is the only time we've gotten down here. We need a touchdown. Indianapolis, it was like a practice going up and down the field. Buffalo could not stop them. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass. They couldn't stop, you know, these little screen passes. There were missed tackles everywhere. Naheem Hines was running all over him. JT was running all over him. I don't know what Frank Reich was doing. That loss is only on him. Um, but we have to give credit to Buffalo that they were able to come back after being thoroughly outplayed for about half the game, and, and they ended up winning the game. And there was some crazy stuff at the end of the game, too, with like that fumble, which was clearly a fumble. Like I don't know. That game was wacky. The way to beat Buffalo, I think, is on offense, you need to be able to run the ball because their run defense is not that great, obviously. And obvious. the other thing is, these are obvious, but they're harder you know, to do than me just saying it out loud. The other thing is you have to keep Josh Allen in the pocket, which is a challenge. Now, when he rolls out to his right, he is lethal. You've seen all the stats about it. I don't have to restate them. If he gets out to his right, you're in trouble. He's also really good against the Blitz. And the Ravens Blitz a lot. So, are the Ravens going to sit back in a zone? I don't think they are. They're going to be what they, you know, that's how Martindale runs the defense. They just kind of run what they run because that's what they do best. And we've seen when he plays quarterbacks that are really good against the Blitz, such as Pat Mahomes, um... The Ravens get shredded because sometimes you need to have more than one move. 
And I don't know if Baltimore is going to come in here with more than one move on defense. I do think their front four will be able to contain the Bills' run game. It's going to come down to, can the Ravens run the ball, which I think they'll be able to, and can the Ravens stop Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs? That's the part I'm unsure of. Because if this turns into an up-and-down track meet of a game, Baltimore is going to lose. Because Lamar Jackson cannot throw with Josh Allen. He just can't do it. If this game is controlled by Baltimore's run, like, you know, rushing attack, Buffalo's in big trouble. Because even though Allen has gotten a lot better, he still has periods within a game where he's, like, super inefficient. And if you give away, like, two or three possessions in a row and Baltimore's controlling the clock, it's hard for you to be get into a rhythm because you don't have the ball enough to sustain drives. So, where am I going on this game, you're probably asking. I'm actually going to take Baltimore. For some reason, this is just a fan note, I can't get that image of the Chiefs running the ball down Buffalo's throat the entire game when they played. And the Chiefs are not a run team, as you know. I just can't get that image out of my head. And I think Baltimore, who's been running the ball really well, is going to come in and just pound the living hell out of Buffalo. Now, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a street fight. This is not going to be Baltimore comes in there and absolutely destroys them. I think it's going to be a super, super close game. But I just think Baltimore has what it takes. They're the, I think they're hotter than Buffalo right now. I'm going to take Baltimore, super close game, less than a field goal for sure, or less than one possession. Would I be surprised if Buffalo won? Absolutely not. You're probably saying, as a Chiefs fan, who would you rather play? The answer is still Baltimore, because all they do is blitz, and we eat up the blitz for breakfast, and Lamar Jackson still can't really throw. He run last. He won last week running. If you make him throw, he can't beat you. I'm assuming that's what Buffalo is going to end up doing, but I just don't know if they'll be able to stop the run. That's the problem. So that's where we're at for Saturday. Sunday's games, uh, 3 o'clock, Browns at Chiefs. Got to give a lot of credit to the Browns. I didn't think they were going to able be able to pull it off without their coach last week. Well, not just their coach, their head coach. They missing like half of their you know, coaching staff. <laughs> I didn't think they were going to be able to pull it out. They took it to the Steelers, like completely dominated them physically. Uh, it was kind of fun to watch, I'm not going to lie. The Chiefs were on a bye last week, so I'm just going to come off the top. I'm taking the Chiefs in this game. Am I really going to pick against Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid off a bye week? Absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. But this there's no way Kansas City covers this, I don't think. Minus 10. The Chiefs haven't covered anything all year. I wrote about this for the Friday Fire. I'm taking Cleveland to cover for a couple reasons. Now, let's start with the Chiefs. They're going to be able to move the ball up and down the field against Cleveland because Cleveland has zero in the secondary. They have no one. I, get, I know they have Denzel Ward, but like you can't leave him with the on-tire kill one-on-one. That's not going to be good. Now, the Chiefs are banged up because uh, you know Sammy Watkins not practicing. Clyde still not practicing. Willie Gay not practicing. I saw Rashad Fenton mispractice yesterday. Uh, Mitch Schwartz does not look like he's going to be back, which is not good because Miles Garrett is going to take uh, Anthony Fisher to school on Sunday. Um, but like, I just don't think Cleveland's going to be able to keep up with 
Hill, Kelsey, Hardman, Robinson, and friends. I just don't see that happening. And then on defense, the Chiefs, I'm assuming, would, are going to employ the same game plan they used against Tennessee last year in the AFC Championship game. They're going to put everyone in the box and say, yeah, you're more than welcome to run the ball into this eight- or nine-man box. You're going to beat us throwing. Can, can Cleveland do that? I don't know if Mayfield can keep up with Mahomes in a shootout, so they're going to have to run the ball. What scares, the only thing that scares me is as a Chiefs fan, it's not Nick Chubb. I'm not worried about Nick Chubb. Dude can't catch, not worried about him. The guy I'm worried about is Kareem Hunt. There's a couple of reasons why. Let me start off by saying, one, the dumbest thing the Chiefs ever did was let that man go. I don't care what he did. You don't get rid of players that good. That's just the bottom line. And I say that about every player. If you guys know me, which some of you do who listen to this, I don't care what you do off the field. You could be an axe murderer, cannibal, whatever. If you can play, I want you on the team. Because good players are hard to come by. The Chiefs have not had a rushing game at all since Kareem Hunt has left the team. Kareem Hunt is not a good matchup for the Chiefs because not only is he a tough physical runner and the Chiefs cannot tackle anybody in open space, he's also really good at running routes out of the backfield and doing damage after the catch. And if you're a Chiefs fan or you watch a Chiefs play, you know damn well that they cannot cover anybody with a linebacker. Their linebackers are terrible in coverage. Absolutely horrendous. Which is not good. Because that probably means the Chiefs are going to play an extra safety, which means they're going to get bullied in the run game. So I do think Cleveland tries to control the game. Eventually, you know what? Let me stop right there. This is what's going to happen. The Chiefs will start off really slow, like they do in every single game. Because Andy Reid will be calling some stupid plays that don't work because he's had too much free time. Cleveland will jump them, like 7 to 10 to nothing, something like that. The Chiefs will wake up. They'll score like 20 unanswered. Cleveland will then be forced to throw. They won't be able to keep up. Kansas City is probably going to score somewhere in the 35-point range. Would I be surprised if they scored 40-plus? Not really, because that's what the Chiefs do. So with all that being said, that was my in-depth analysis for the Chiefs game. (laughs) Very scared of Kareem Hunt. I'm going to take the Chiefs, but I do think Cleveland covers. Last game, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. I'm going to start by saying this is a legacy game for Drew Brees. You're probably saying, why am I saying that? Well, Drew Brees only has one Super Bowl ring. Drew Brees has pretty much been the second or third best quarterback the entire time he's been in the league. He's never number one. And the guy who's pretty much been number one the entire time is the guy he's playing on Sunday, Tom Brady. He's never going to be able to catch Tom Brady in rings, but he might be the only guy ever to be able to say he beat Tom Brady three times in the same season on his way to the NFC Championship game. Drew Brees needs this for his legacy because a lot of people like try to argue that that he's like this top, you know, quarterback in NFL history. Like, all right, do you watch sports? Like he's really, 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 really good. Was he better than Tom Brady? No. Is he better than Peyton Manning? No. 
Is he better than Brett Favre? I don't think so. Is he better than Aaron Rodgers? No. All right, that's four guys right there just from this era alone that are better than Drew Brees. When it's all said and done, he's going to be better than Pat Mahomes? No. So this is this is big for Drew Brees' legacy game, especially if he can get to the Super Bowl. For Tom Brady, I learned at a very young age, as someone who lives in New York, right, because we get exposed to a lot of Jets and Giants football. So I learned a very long time ago, when the playoffs come, you don't pick against Tom Brady. It doesn't matter who's on his team. It doesn't matter what the scheme is or the system, because the Patriots used to change it all the time. And now it looks like the Bucks have adopted the Tom Brady system, which is the best system ever created by man. You don't pick against Tom Brady. You just don't do it. Because every time you want to write Tom Brady off, he shoves it in your face that he's not done yet. So I'm going to take the Buccaneers, but I'll give you some reasoning besides that I just don't pick against Tom Brady. First time these teams played, Brady had no idea what the playbook was. You could see he was checking the wristband all the time. I'd throw that game out the window. The next time these teams played, Tampa was kind of beat up. I mean, now the Saints completely housed them, so it didn't matter if Tampa had their full complement of guys. But the key here is Antonio Brown. The first game he played was the second time the Bucs played the Saints, and he was not really that big of a factor. It was his first game coming off suspension. He had like three catches for like 30 yards. Now, the Saints always shadow Mike Evans with Marshawn Lattimore, and they pretty much make Chris Godwin beat you, which he probably can do, but he's not like that, that amazing. If you leave someone one-on-one with Antonio Brown all game, you are asking for terrible, terrible things to happen to you, especially because Tampa is getting the ball out really fast now. They're kind of all settled in. Fournette's like they're passing, passing, you know, down back. Cameron Brate, all of a sudden, back from the dead. I don't know where he came from, but he's back to being relevant after last week. Gronk is still there. They're using him more as a blocker because that's currently his best attribute. I think the X factor in this game is Antonio Brown just completely taking whoever's on him to church every play. And if the Saints have to take Lattimore off of Evans... To put him on Brown, they're in even worse trouble because Lattimore cannot cover Antonio Brown one-on-one. And now your number two guy definitely can't cover Mike Evans. So I'm going to assume that Lattimore stays on Evans the whole game, tries to get under his skin. The other reason I'm taking the Bucks in this game is because Drew Brees is terrible. Drew Brees has been terrible for three years. I don't know where you've all been. Noodle arm Drew is out in full effect. This dude cannot throw. He has no velocity on his throws. He doesn't push the ball downfield. It's not good. And he didn't have Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara all year, like, at the same time. Or he had him last week, and why couldn't he move the ball last week? It's because he's got no velocity on his throws. He's got no mobility, which he's never had. But if Tampa can contain Alvin Kamara, which... They currently have the best run defense in the league, so sounds doable. Now, he might kill you in the passing game, which is what you have to prevent, but if they can contain Kamara and make Drew Brees throw the ball downfield, they're going to win the game. And that's who I'm taking in this game, especially because the Bucks' offensive line has played a lot better of late. 
So my winners to review, Bucks, Chiefs, Ravens, and Packers. That would potentially set up Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady in the NFC Championship game, and on the other side, the two like young gun quarterbacks taking the torch from those two, Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Now, this could also be interchangeable for Josh Allen, so my storyline there is good no matter what. But can you imagine if we had an Aaron Rodgers versus Pat Mahomes Super Bowl or a Tom Brady versus Pat Mahomes? My God. As a Chiefs fan, that scares the living you-know-what out of me, but I hope it happens because that would just be an epic game to watch, especially if the Chiefs win. Um, so that's kind of where we're at for this week. That's going to wrap it up for our divisional round previews. Make sure you follow us at Beak Brands. You can follow me at Tim Ferdinand. Definitely help us out. Tell your friends. Share you know, our posts. Comment. Like. You guys know the deal. I will talk to y'all next week.